I'm Paul Nixon, and I want to welcome you to another episode of the Church is Changing podcast. My guest today is Jason Moore. Jason, for more than two decades, has been resourcing churches in terms of worship, but in more recent years, in terms of the digital side of worship, especially as we've moved through the pandemic. I've had the privilege of working with Jason in days gone by, and he's just a lot of fun. He's a busy guy, and we're really glad that we were able to catch him for this hour in order to have a conversation about how church is changing. Jason, greetings. Paul, it is good to be with you, uh, even if virtually. You um, you started working with the Gingosburg Church back in the 90s. That's hard to believe you're old enough that you were that you even had a driver's license in the 90s. But <laughs> you've you've gotten into a lot of things. You've done book trailers for Seth Godin and Arianna Huffington and such characters. But over the last few years, your your work has increasingly moved from just graphic work and multimedia kind of worship really to getting into the digital. What are you doing most of the time these days? What what is what does a day or a week in the life of Jason Moore look like? Oh man, it's crazy and it doesn't involve very much sleep. <laughs> yes, I did get my start kind of in the world of of media and worship design and those kind of things uh, back back at Ginghamsburg. But you know, there's been a lot of adaptive learning that's happened in the last couple of years for all of us, and that includes me. Uh, my passion for the last 20-something years has been around collaborative worship design, and I've done a lot of equipping of churches for how to create worship experiences in collaborative ways. So pastor, musicians, lay people coming together, designing worship, and all of that. And of course, in 2020, all of that changed pretty dramatically. I, I'm sure you had very similar situations, but I had uh, one week where I had uh, six events cancel on me in mid-March because of the pandemic. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I had no clue. I, I even said to my wife, I'm like, we're in trouble here. I don't know what I'm going to do because so much of my work is in person, working with churches around worship in person. And uh, kind of out of nowhere, God just dropped this whole new thing in my lap or around helping churches navigate how to translate worship and how to create experiences of worship that are both in the building and online in a way where no one feels like an afterthought, not the people in the room, not the people sitting in front of their televisions or, or their phones or their computers or whatever it may be that they are participating on. It really is a revolution the way that worship is now shifting to a hybrid model. And when we and that's not a form that's not a type of grass, but but hybrid being the fact that some people are gathered in a physical room in one or more places and other people are connecting digitally through a screen. Absolutely. You know, one of the things I think we've got to be careful about though is that some of us are using that word hybrid uh, in a way that is probably not accurate that it's okay. truly hybrid. I see a lot of churches call what they do hybrid. And by hybrid, they mean that they put a camera in the back of the room or in the balcony, and they more or less went about business as usual. And so I talk about in, in my new book, the idea of creating truly hybrid worship experiences means that you're creating a scenario where people both in the room and at home are a part of it, not just that you're capturing what's happening in the room. One of my favorite examples of what truly hybrid work, uh, worship, not worship, but truly hybrid experiences look like is to think about professional sporting events. Mm. 
Uh, you can either go to the game and be present with the crowd and have that communal experience and uh, get to take advantage of the vendors, the beer and the hot dogs, the and the awful weather. Yes. <laughs> and the hard seats and, you know, all those kind of things. Uh, or you can experience it in your home uh, on a comfortable couch with cheaper snacks and uh, instant replay and close ups and commentators that explain what's happening and all of those things and there are advantages to both experiences i mean who doesn't want to go to the game i mean we all want to go to the game but also there are some real advantages to participating at home it's the same game that's playing out in two completely different scenarios and the people that work at the stadium are there to give you a great experience in the stadium and the people in the production trucks are focused on those who are at home and so i think too often what we're doing in in this new era that we find ourselves in is creating an experience for the room with a camera that's just capturing it which ends up making the people at home spectators or observers of that experience rather than actual participants in it and so one of the ways that i've been framing the conversation to help churches think in a bigger way is to consider how books become films you know when you take a book and you make it into a film you have to adapt that story, you have to consolidate it, you have to embrace the limits of the new way that you're gonna tell that story, and all of those things. I think too many churches just went about business as usual and threw some cameras in the room, and they call it hybrid, but I don't really think it's truly hybrid. You know, as you talk about all of that, I was thinking about the last time I went to an NFL game and sat in the stadium, which was like 14 years ago, and we froze to death, and I haven't done it since. And I was then thinking about how we watched the Super Bowl this year. We went with some friends, met up. Someone had sat in a pub situation and and saved a couch for us on the front row. And we had a whole wall of image. And, of course, everybody was cheering because the L- L.A. was winning and this was in Southern California. But it was really a much better experience with a small crowd enjoying that interesting event than the last time when we had to give up an entire day and travel and pay for the tickets and so forth. And the funny thing about that experience was we watched for a while and then we moved and watched at another pub in a quieter setting where there wasn't as much COVID getting sneezed around. And we, you know, we, we, we moved around and yet we felt like we experienced the game. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, I really think that those professional sporting events give us a sense of what a transcendent experience feels like, looks like. I believe that we can create transcendent expressions of worship. Now, I call the book that I wrote and the, the work that I do both and because I don't think it's either or. I don't think that online should replace the in-person. I don't think that we should stop filling stadiums and only watch the game at home. But I do think that if we're intentional about how we are delivering that experience, and that's what happened when you sat on that couch with those friends, is that they're engaging you in a very specific way with the audience at home and mine, not just the people in the stadium. And uh, if we can bring some of that mentality to what we do in our churches, I think this is a wonderful Great Commission moment that we're living in, that we're taking the gospel to people everywhere. And if we'll reimagine it, uh, it will it will be transcendent. They will truly worship along with us. And of course, the people in the stadium didn't have the commercials, you know, which is like half, half of the fun. So you, you mentioned your latest book, Both And, Maximizing Hybrid Worship Experiences for In-Person and Online Engagement. 
you released that book. How long has it been now? Six weeks? Uh, no, it actually just came out February 14th. So it's, uh, it's going on three weeks old. And uh, I am uh, I'm completely uh, flabbergasted with its reception. It has been the number one book in the preaching category in, uh, on Amazon. Uh, it's been number one or number two in evangelism. And, and for some odd reason, it's been in the top 10 even on discipleship. Uh, so it's been a bestseller since it came out. And uh, I'm pinching myself. I can't believe the way it's been received. Well, the thing about you, you and I both write. You've written 12 yeah. books. Um, you're ahead of me by one, okay? But what what I've learned with that is that sometimes a book is answering a question that a lot of people just happen to be asking at that moment, and there's that sweet spot. I think you found it on this one. A lot of people are trying to figure this out. That is certainly true. Um, I just, before our call today, had a pastor in Dubai want to talk to me about the book. So we were talking in, in the evening hour at his time and, and in the morning hour here for mine. But he said, even even in Dubai, as he's trying to do ministry right now, he's trying to sort through this whole both and thing. And, and you know, it's allowed me to do work with churches literally all over the country who are really... Um, trying to navigate this space that we're trying to figure out how do we, I see it as a new wineskin opportunity. How do we deliver up the gospel in a way that uh, we, our core values aren't different, but our cultural expression of those had to change when this pandemic hit. It's a small world. We interviewed on this podcast under the previous name, Field Preachers, we interviewed that pastor. Oh, okay. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing what it means to be in ministry in Dubai. So you've been a busy bee. You've been helping people learn how to lead people into sacred spaces by digital means. And at the same time, while they're also gathering in person, sometimes when people ask me about hybrid or they or we're talking about it, they, they say we are primarily a digital gathering that also gathers in a room. Other times it is more of a, um, what do you call it, um, live stream which can be a dead stream, <laughs> like a, a real snoozer, um, unless you really design it, unless you design it with a host, you, it's possible. Would you say it's possible to do live stream with and, and to make it work with design? Absolutely. In fact, in the book, I lay out three different ways to do it. I call them pre-both-and worship, where we might pre-record our online experience of worship and we give all of our attention when we're recording it to people online. And the, the in-person experience is there's no cameras in the room. You just do it for the people in the room. So there, it's both and in that you're creating an experience for people online and in the room. The second method that I talk about is what I call real-time both and worship, and that is live streaming. But I do talk about how to make that a participatory experience and, and even a couple different ways to do it so that you have a shorter version of worship online and a longer one for the room. And then the third methodology I talk about is what I call post-both-and worship. And that's the idea that you might have cameras in the room that are capturing what you're doing live when you're doing it, but then you would uh, record it and edit it and find more of a sweet spot in the 25 to 35 minute range for an online experience of worship. So I believe whether you do option A, B, or C, that we can really connect with people and that live stream, I guess, which is the one you were talking about. Uh, I know churches that have hosts that are 
in the chat that that engage with people and make them feel like they're a part of it. I also know churches that have sort of on-camera hosts that they see that person before the worship and after the worship, uh, and they are like the online pastor. So absolutely, I think that we can connect with people regardless of whatever our methodology is. You think hybrid is here to stay? I sure hope so. And yeah, I absolutely do. I mean, if you think about it, it's happening everywhere. Uh, higher education, you know, now we can either go to the campus or we can do classes online. Uh, the medical field, you know, telehealth is a thing. I, I just had a telehealth appointment with the doctor the other day. Uh, think about banking, you know, so much of our banking is done both in line. I mean, you, ha- you used to have to go to the brick and mortar bank. The way that we eat out is different than it used to be. DoorDash and Uber Eats and all of these things. Our work life is very different. It it would be hard to imagine that the church would be the one holdout where we didn't do things in a hybrid way anymore. So I think every other aspect of life has become hybrid and the church should continue this hybrid path into the future. Earlier today, I was working on a consultation with a Methodist church um, outside the United States that has three different languages of gathering. One of the worship gatherings is hybrid and two are not. The two that are not are not doing well. They're not bouncing back from the pandemic. And I also have discovered along that line that there are regions where every single church that is resisting hybrid is in profound decline. So say within a denominational region, like 100%. And which is not to say that if you are doing a hybrid approach to worship, you're going to be growing, but but it is to say that for many of these um, churches, if you're not, you're surely not going to be growing. Yeah, I think that that sounds accurate to me. I, I, I've observed that most people, at least that I'm talking to and working with in the, my home church, it's not a real big deal whether the worship event is happening in real time as they view their screens or whether it's a recording, which we, we might call an asynchronous experience. If Once you get into it, you stop thinking about that. Is, is that your... Th- experience or what 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 do you what do you think well uh, i am actively coaching about 175 pastors right now through monthly cohort calls i do 16 cohort calls a month all based on or all focused on hybrid worship and i would say a good three quarters of the churches i'm working with maybe even more than that at this point are telling me that their numbers throughout the week go up dramatically because people are worshiping after the fact, not just on Sunday morning. So one of the one of the things I've been suggesting that folks keep in mind as we come to terms with that reality is that we not take attendance on Sunday morning anymore. Uh, we need to take a, attendance from Sunday to Saturday uh, because those numbers grow throughout the week if we're going to measure what kind of success or what kind of impact or reach that we have. I do think that a significant portion, I don't know if it's most people, but I do think a significant portion of people are now worshiping at a later time. But this is not this is not hard to understand when you look at the way we consume content these days. I mean, you've got Disney Plus and Netflix and Amazon Prime Video and Apple TV Plus and, you know, most of us do not watch in the moment anymore. I mean, besides sporting events, when's the last time you watch something live on television? Uh, Most of us don't watch live anymore. And I know that's, I used a word that sometimes people get uncomfortable with, the idea of consuming 
worship, that, that that somehow makes us consumers. I'm using the word consume in the context that we are taking it in, that we are ingesting the experience of worship. Uh, worship is not entertainment like these other formats that we talked about, Disney and all those sorts of things. But wouldn't we rather have people worship with us in a time where, in a time where they can fully engage rather than sort of half pay attention when it's happening live in the moment? You know, I'm I'm at work, but I've got it streaming on my phone. Or the other day I was in an airport and I saw someone worshiping on their phone during their layover or whatever. And, and they were participating. But isn't it wonderful now that people have the opportunity to engage when they can set aside the time to actually engage? Uh, I know that this time delayed thing is difficult for some of us to wrap our heads around, but the gospel is timeless. And so let's give people an evergreen experience of worship through the language that we use and through the fact that we know we're recording it or it's being archived for people to engage with later. During the toughest time of the pandemic, um, I found that we were, of course, we were watching worship and experiencing worship with our congregation on YouTube. And for reasons of algorithm or mysteries beyond my understanding, after that worship service, another church popped up on the YouTube, and and then you look up, and all of a sudden, you're in another service. And we fell in love with that church. We didn't join that church, but we just fell in love with that church. It was, it was exactly the kind of worship that we needed during that, during that season. But um, I think I was a consumer. You know, I'm not a volunteer at that church and their ministries. I'm not a part of their small groups. I think I was a consumer, but at the same time, it was a powerful experience. I don't want to. I don't want to say just because I'm not deeply engaged in that church. I don't want to suggest that I was only half of a worshiper or one fourth of a worshiper. You know, I was there. I just wasn't there. There. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I. I think. One of the things that I have pushed so many churches on is that we have to value the people online in the same way that we value the people in the room. There's almost like this sense that like, if they're not in the room, they're not real people. They are real people. They really need Jesus. They really can have an experience of worship. It's not exactly the same as being in the room in the same way that being at the game is different than being at home. But we are creating true experiences of worship. One of my least favorite words to describe worship online that a lot of people use is virtual worship. I hate the term virtual worship. I got a virtual reality headset for Christmas in 2020. And, uh, you know, it's pretty cool. But my wife got me one. My dad got one. My dad lives about 30 minutes from me. One afternoon, he said, hey, Jason, download this roller coaster app. Let's ride this roller coaster together. And so we got on the headset and he's got an avatar of himself and I've got one of me and we can see each other and we're kind of laughing at each other. And then we start to go up the hill and you hear those clicks and all that. Um, but I didn't feel any butterflies. We went down the hill. I didn't feel any G-forces. I didn't feel anything. It was a simulated experience. But what was very real in that moment was the connection that I felt to my dad. And when we say virtual worship, it's like saying it's a simulated experience or a fake version of worship. It is actual worship. It's real. The people on the other side of the camera are real. And so we've got to elevate them to the same level of dignity and respect that we have for those that are in the room. I think sometimes we just we count them as second class citizens in our faith communities because they're not in the building. And I, we've got to, I think, erase that that mentality from our minds. 
You know, I think this could be a little bit generational to this virtual thing. I think younger people, they don't think about an online experience being less real. It's different, but they don't think about it not being real. I think of online dating. You know, if you get two 60-year-olds in a, a date online, they're going to say, hey, you won't believe it. I went on a virtual date. But if you got two 25-year-olds who met the first time that way, and it was an amazing conversation that went like for two and a half hours, and they'll get together um, in person soon, it was a date. <laughs> There's no virtual about it. You know, it was a date. Right. Yeah. I mean, I have a friend uh, who, who found his spouse that way, and, you know, they... Uh, it was an unconventional way. Uh, it would be an unconventional way 20-something years ago, but today it's just the way you meet people. Now, some churches are pretty limited in terms of their financial resources to do this, and I guess the way you would do this, depending on the size of the church, could could vary, and depending on what—because you could I, you could invest quite a bit in this. I have one church I'm working with that's investing six digits into this, but I know others that just invest a couple thousand dollars. But what what what— what should we expect to pay for the minimum quality of cameras and other kinds of um, technical tools that we need to do sure. this? Well, I, I will certainly answer that question. But before I answer it, let me just say this. Okay. I'm a huge believer in the idea that authenticity is more important than being slick or perfect. And so I think sometimes we become overly concerned about which bells and whistles we have, what software we're using, how many cameras and what kind of cameras and all that. Uh, I think back to what happened during the pandemic with The Tonight Show when Jimmy Fallon took the show home and his wife was filming it, his daughters were in it. I mean, it was a bit of a mess, but it was some of the most compelling stuff I had seen Jimmy do since he had become the host. And so it didn't look great. It didn't sound great. Um, he couldn't get through his jokes because he was laughing because his daughters were all over the place. Uh, so first off, I just I want to preface getting into numbers by saying if you authentically bring people Jesus, that's going to be way more important than what technology. What you do in front of the camera matters more than which camera you use. Uh, the truth is I have seen churches that have, you know, five cameras and fancy software do a really poor job of making the people at home feel like they're a part of the experience. It's more like watching worship than worshiping. But I've also seen little country churches with a, an iPhone do things in front of that camera that make you feel like a valued participant in the experience. So I just, let me start there. I am working on retainer with the Western North Carolina Conference of the United Methodist Church. In fact, Paul, I think I have you in some ways to thank for it because the person that hired me said he had a conversation with you and you, you said, Jason Moore's a guy you need to talk to. So thank you for that. You bet. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, we have uh, hired a technical expert to help us develop some packages. I'm coaching uh, right now about 30 churches and I did, I don't know, 40 or 50 last last year. So we've done about 80 or so. I, I don't know the exact number, but 80 something churches. And so we hired this, this technical streaming expert to come in and help us develop a package for these churches. And we are recommending a camera called the Mevo camera. It's a little a uh, camera that's wireless and you can get one of them for 500 bucks, two of them, a two pack, I think is like 750 and a three pack is a thousand dollars. And so most of the churches that we're working with in this both and work, 
are doing like a three camera package with a laptop and uh, some software like a pro presenter or something like that the entire package is about 3500 bucks so that's like on the low end I mean you can also do this with an iPhone or an Android and a mic I mean the the sound is the most important piece in fact sound is even more important than video quality people will not watch for very long if it sounds terrible they will watch a much longer period of time if it looks or it sounds good even if it looks bad so you can spend as little as you know fifteen hundred dollars three thousand dollars and then you can spend buku bucks like the church you were talking about uh, so there's a range i really believe that any church that wants to get into this can get into it at at any level and and so the most important thing is how are you connecting with people authentically more so than you know which camera are you going to invest in one of the churches that i'm working with in the midwest you know, they have less than 100 people in the sanctuary these days as they come back from the Omicron surge. But the day I was with them a few weeks ago, there were 800 plus people that, that connected with them online over the next few days. 800. Now, that's pretty good. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll run into another church with the same attendance in the building and maybe they have a dozen online. What accounts for the wide range of participation? that churches are seeing in their online? You know, I my guess would be that most folks who don't have wider audiences haven't really ever moved to truly hybrid worship experiences. So if I am just a fly on the wall in an experience that's completely designed for the room, I am not going to tune in for very long. I think in the early days of the pandemic, one of the things that happened a lot was that people are experimenting uh, week after week after week, we would get we'd move the camera around, we'd change the order up. Uh, we lost that spirit of innovation and iteration, and I think there was a draw in the early weeks to to go and see what was happening. And I think some of our churches figured out like, hey, if we do these four things every time, that's all it takes, and we created a template. And templates templates get boring after a while. Uh, so I think I think I think that's part of it. I also think that if we if we will start to elevate again our congregation not in the room to the same level of dignity and respect that we have for people in the room, we will change up the way that we look at the camera from time to time, the language we use, the way that we invite them into participation. I make the argument in the book that we have to move from what used to be a monologue to dialogue in the experience of worship. So um, one of my favorite churches that I'm working with is a church in Columbia, South Carolina, a large African-American church pastor's name is George Ashford. And George tells the story about how his congregation, which is again, largely African-American, did not want to get vaccinated. Uh, most of his folks didn't. You know, in the African-American community, letting people stick things in your arms that are ex experimental drugs have not always panned out in a, a positive way. So he said, I've got a lot of people that did not want to get vaccinated. He said, I had to figure out how am I going to help my church that is accustomed to call and response worship, call and respond when they're not in the room. So what they did was they set up these three high top tables. They call it the amen section. And at those three tables, there are little cards on the table that say social media ambassador. And the people that sit at these tables sit with a tablet or a phone or a laptop. 
And they had three roles that I could see when I visited. Uh, number one is that every single person that came into the chat got a welcome, got a greeting. If they said something, there was a response to their comment. They fully engaged the people at home. So that was thing number one. Thing number two is that they had a big whiteboard behind them and they would write on the whiteboard the number of people worshiping in real time on that board. So it started off with 25, they erased it, became 50, erased it, became 80. When I was visiting last August, uh, it got up to 130. Now that's 130 households, not 130 people. And, and the value in that was that it helped George at any point he could look over at that board and see there were 130 households participating, which gave him the motivation to include them, to look at the camera, to talk to them. But here's the other upside of it. The people in the room can't see the people at home, but they're aware of their presence by being able to look at that board at any moment and see that, hey, there may be 30% of us here in the room, but the other 70 are with us too. They're just not here in the room. And the last thing they did, and this is my favorite thing of all, was that they call this the amen section for a reason. Sometimes someone would put a comment in the chat preach it, Brother Ashford. And at the amen section, someone would actually yell out, preach it, Brother Ashford. So they would actually give voice to the congregation not in the room. They made call and response possible for wow. people who weren't there, which elevates them to the same level of dignity and respect and gives them the opportunity to participate, not just watch that worship. Uh, the last, last thing I want to share here is that when I went back to look for a clip from the week I was with them, I noticed that the week that I was with them, they had 680 comments in their hour and 15 minute worship service. I was like, surely that's a fluke. So I went to the next week. 800 comments the next week, like 400 comments. They have somewhere between 400 and 800 comments every single week in worship, which tells me that they are transcending the technology. The people at home are full participants. And then uh, I was back, I was there back in January. I came back out for another consultation. And while worship was happening, they said, if you're new with us today, put G in the chat. That stands for guest. If you're a member, put M in the chat. If you're a frequent flyer, put FF. We want to know that you're there. And the chat lit up. And then they said, in the bottom left corner right now, you can hit the share button. Hit the share button and let's invite our friends to church. And of course, the numbers went up dramatically. So when you say some folks have a lot, 800 people that show up online and some people have none. I think part of it is that we're not being intentional about creating an experience where people at home feel like they're a part of it. And we're also not encouraging people to kind of share what we're doing so that they can be, uh, uh, they can be a part of it as well. So one last thing, perhaps the number one pushback that I hear to going online with worship is that we're creating not just consumers, but slackers. We're creating a really, really low commitment kind of person. And th there's a guy by the name of Steve. He's he's sort of the poster child of the online worshiper in my world. He, he was disconnected with church for at least 40 years until recently, and he found our church online. And so he finds our church online. He's been a small business guy all of his adult years. Sunday mornings were about just catching his breath. And he found our church online sitting by the pool on his iPad. And he every week he would get on his iPad sitting by the pool on Sunday morning. And he ended up joining the church. But he didn't just stay there. The point is, is he joined a Bible study group. He began to volunteer in ministry. The other day, he actually walked into a live worship gathering. It's like, whoa, look who's here. It's Steve. 
But most of the time, he's still Sunday mornings. He's still sitting by his pool. But it's not like that's the only thing he does. That's one piece of his entire, you know, Christian experience. And he's growing spiritually. And he reminds me that just because you prefer not not just that you discovered the church, but you prefer to continue to engage online, you're not a slacker. So my question for you as we close, do you think there's any other Steves out there? You think there's many of these folks out there? I absolutely do. And I think part of the problem with our own mentality is that uh, we think our experience is the normative one, that everyone has the same experience that we have. I think sometimes we confuse Jesus and the context in which we met Jesus, and we think that's the most sacred one. So that if I started off an in-person church, that's the most holy expression of church that exists. But we've got to remember that some people, like Steve, encountered church first online, and it may have meant something to Steve. There's a pastor that I coach in uh, Columbus, Ohio, who was sharing some frustration with me the other day. He said, uh, Jason, in 2020, my daughter went to college, but the college was closed because of COVID, so she started online. And so she had a first couple semesters that were great. She did really well in her studies. You know, everything was wonderful. And then in spring of 21, they opened the college. And he said, are you ready to go have the college experience? And my daughter said to me, no, uh, I'm going to continue online. He's like, what? No, you have to go to college. Like you, he, he was a fraternity brother. You know, he pledged, he did all that stuff. And he, he just could not wrap his head around why she would want to go online. And she said, well, I don't have to leave my room. I don't have to leave my bed. I get to eat out of your refrigerator. I don't have to take on as much debt. I don't have to leave my friends. Like I had a great college is awesome. I love it. <laughs> and, and he just couldn't wrap his head around his normative experience was that you go live the college experience on the campus. And that's what the most meaningful experience of college looks like. And for her, she saw all of the advantages of what she got to experience in her first iteration of, of college too. Now, I think she eventually did go uh, to the campus, but I think we've got to start to think outside the box that our experience is not the only experience. I guess the last thing I would say is just to remember that the history of the church is rooted in a hybrid approach to ministry. I think some people miss this, that Paul conducted hybrid church. All throughout Acts, he's preaching to the people in person, and then he finds himself in jail. He writes these letters, these epistles. He is literally leading the church and preaching to the people in a socially distanced way. And Paul constantly says, I long to be with you. I wish we were together. I would prefer that we were in the same space. And, and maybe those people got to meet him in person one time when he was in town or whatever, but most of their experience of Paul's leadership and ministry happened through these letters that he wrote. No one discounts that Paul's writings are important to the theology of the church. And so I would suggest that someone like Steve can have just as powerful experience of the gospel through the online worship like we would if we're reading Paul's epistles. We've just got to remember that the people online are real people. And Absolutely. they really matter. Absolutely. And, uh, uh, that he wasn't real just the day that he walked into the building. He was real before he showed up there. Good, good stuff. Jason, if we want to um, converse with you more, how do we get a hold of you? Where do we find Jason Moore? 
you can find me probably the best way. Uh, uh, you can send me an email at mail, M-A-I-L, at midnightoilproductions.com. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Midnight Oil Productions. And uh, those would be two great ways to connect with me. And uh, I suppose if you're interested in the book, you can go to inviteresources.com and uh, you, can, you can pick the book up there. Beautiful, beautiful. Thanks for giving us time today. Thanks for all that you do to help the church in a changing age to be faithful to what it is that we're about. It is my pleasure, Paul, and uh, thank you for the invite, and thank you for uh, for all the great ministry you do. You've you've been uh, an inspiration to me for many years and a great friend, and so it's uh, been fun to talk with you. Thanks for joining us today. Church is Changing podcast is a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Music is by Sanjay Singh. Visit all our podcasts at podcast.umcdiscipleship.org.